Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. God, I want to ask you now as uh, we begin to look at this book of Acts and as we're going through here and reading and studying about Paul, Lord, my hope and my prayer is that whatever the end result is today, that we can walk away saying we've heard from you. Lord, I know that if that's depending on me, that would be impossible. So God, right now, once again, as we do every week, I ask you that you would fill me with your spirit or empower me to speak words that are true. I pray that you would inhibit me and the, the things that might come through that are just my opinions. God, I pray that you would inhibit those things and let your truth reign this morning. Lord, I pray as well for everyone in this room that your spirit would be poured out on them as they listen and hear and receive your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in uh, Acts, and uh, my, uh, let's see here, my tablet is a little bit off, so I'm going to have to work through this. We're going to start with this. Um, We've been in Acts chapter 17, we're about ready for Acts chapter 18, we're starting that this morning. I want you to think about where Paul has been, he was just in Athens, He was by himself in Athens, other than any new converts that might have been with him. Silas and Timothy are still in Macedonia. Remember, they were left in Berea, and uh, so they're still up there. And so Paul left on his own, and so the the believers said, hey, we think you should move on. So he went down to Athens, and we talked about that the last couple weeks. Paul's witnessing to the Gentiles. But I want you to enter into how he might feel as he's going through these things. It's easy to forget that Paul was an actual human being experiencing these things that we're reading about. How many times has he either been persecuted, ridiculed, mocked, or driven out of a city? Think of, for those of you that have been here since we started studying Acts, how many times, I mean, you don't have to give me an exact number, but would you say that of all the cities he's visited, more often than not, he left being either driven out or, or asked to leave I mean, even the last city he was in, the other believers said, it might be good for you to go on in fear for his life. Just, I, di- I just want you to think about that for a second. But would you feel ultra confident at this point? Anybody? I see a couple of you going, no, not really. Can you imagine every city that you went to to, to share the gospel, the end of it is you're being driven out by people who are rioting and angry with you? Consider this, he's getting ready to go into the city of Corinth. And it says this here, and I, now this is Paul writing to the Corinthians after this event. So he's writing, this is a letter to the Corinthians. He's getting ready to go there, but listen to what he says. He says, and I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and much trembling. Now, I've read that verse before, and I I didn't really think too much about it, but can can you understand why he might feel this way entering this next? I mean, just left Athens. One of the last things that happened, he was being mocked. I mean, he'd done some witnessing, but he was being mocked by so many more. And he leaves Athens. His two closest companions aren't with him yet. And he heads on down to the next city of Corinth. And that's what we're going to read about today. And as he goes into Corinth, 
he writes back later, reminiscing, thinking back about how he entered Corinth, and he describes it this way. I came to you, brothers, not proclaiming to you the testament of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And I want to tell you a couple things about Corinth before I read that verse. First of all, I want you to notice where it's at. Okay? So uh, Athens, this is Greece. Athens is right here. Corinth is right here, right on this. So he's left Athens. He's traveled over to this spot. And uh, I'm going to point out a couple different things. This is actually a picture of Corinth uh, from today, obviously. And uh, this hill up here, do you see this hill? Right on the top, there was actually a temple to Aphrodite, okay, the, the goddess of love. And so this town was actually known for its immorality. Okay? They had temple prostitutes who would leave, and they would go through the city looking for what they called worshipers and how they worshipped, as you can imagine. They were temple prostitutes. I mean, that's what this city was. Just, <laughs> what in the world? That's how they worshipped. That's Corinth. This is the city that he enters into. This is an artist's depiction of what Corinth may have looked like at the time that Paul came there. Um, here's actually a satellite image of Corinth today. So you can see this narrow stretch of land. Okay, So Athens would have been up here. And Corinth was right on this little spot between those two. In fact, if you go back to the, the map, let me go back to that map for a second. Um, you notice that right there, I mean, it's right there. And so there was a lot of trade that would actually come right through here, right, and need to go over to this side. And one of the things that they did was, uh, let me go right here. This is actually called the, and if I can want to pronounce it correctly, the Dialkos. Um, these are little bits of it they found today, and it's hard to tell, but there are ruts. So this is one side, and there are ruts in the ground. They've unearthed some of this. I got one more picture of it. Uh, there are ruts in the ground. What they would do, see those ruts right there? They would actually take ships going from one side, and it was only like a three and a half mile stretch where Corinth was at from one ocean to the other. And so they would actually take the ships out of the water on these runners. They would drag it across to the other side. It saved days of travel trying to go around Greece. And so Corinth became just a center of all kinds of trade and commerce, people from the east to the west, coming from Rome, Italy, over to Turkey, modern-day Turkey, all kinds of stuff. So this city was immoral. It was full of wealthy people. Lots of gods were worshipped here. Uh, one of my favorite things about this, and uh, I, found, I found this later, Corinth was also a destination for traveling professional orators, people who would speak, okay? who charged a fee for attendance at their entertaining rhetorical displays and advised people how to advance socially. Now, I read that and I thought, you know what that is? That's like one of those guys that comes and he's like, you, you charge a fee and you go and you listen to this motivational speaker. I mean, literally, that's what was going on in Corinth at this time. There were professional speakers that would come and charge a fee. So here Paul comes. And this city is known for its professional speakers. How would you feel going into a city Full of professional speakers, and you're the, can you understand once again why he might have said, "I came to you with fear and trembling." I mean, I don't match up to the type of speech that you hear on a regular basis in Corinth. And so here we have this reality. This is what Paul is is dealing with. This is what he's facing. And uh, I'm going to go back now because I skipped that first verse because I wanted to show you those pictures. And it says this, verse one of chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, 
a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, before we go any further, we're going somewhere with this story, but before we go any further, here Paul comes in. He obviously, I think, is feeling frightened, nervous, maybe defeated a little bit. And one of the first things that happens to him when he enters Corinth is he finds somebody else that's also been driven from a city. Do you think God's bringing some encouragement his way? I think so. Um, there's actually, we know this, this decree that came from Claudius, they've actually found remnants of this decree where they were driving out the Jews out of the city of Rome. And one of the reasons why they were doing that is because there was a lot of debate over, and what it says in the Latin, it says over Christus. It's talking about Jesus. So there's all this debate going over about Jesus with the Jews, which we've seen in all these other cities that Paul has been to. And now it's hit Rome, even before Paul has gotten there. And so here we have this Priscilla and Aquila, who are now in Corinth. They've been driven out of Rome, probably because of their Christianity, not just because they were Jews. And here Paul meets up with them. And I think that this is the first step of encouragement that we see for Paul. Now I have to skip back my picture, past my pictures again. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And so they're workers of leather, basically, is what they're doing. That's what the tents were made out of. So Paul has this trade that he's learned. And he, he, so here he is in the city. And so during the week, he's working on making tents with Priscilla and Aquila in their business. And on the Sabbath, he's going to find, we're going to see that on the Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so here he is. He's just working day in and day out. He's got a little bit of encouragement, but I think he's probably sitting there going, what am I doing here? Back to the grindstone here, working through the week. I get that. In fact, this morning, I was thinking to myself, I, some of you know I just took a new job at Danville High School, right, where I'm doing this instruction because I mentioned it a few times, but I was sitting here this morning and I was thinking to myself, I mean, th- this was one of those weeks where the, the stresses of this new job were just, I mean, I had so many things going on this week. And I was sitting here this morning thinking to myself, I feel like my brain is broken. Has anybody ever felt that way before? I'm sitting here going, I don't think my, my brain is running on all of its, they're not all firing this morning. And I was praying as before we came up here, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to go up here and preach in a minute. And I don't even think my brain is fully functional this morning. But I, I, and then I'm thinking about Paul. I wonder if he was thinking the same thing working with leather through the week, probably think go to the synagogue, try to persuade people. And you're going to see a little bit of that show through. Finally, Silas and Timothy arrive uh, from Macedonia. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And so they finally arrive. I think there's a little bit of encouragement. His buddies have shown up, right? His closest companions. He hasn't seen them since they were in Berea. But look what happens. The Jews again, they oppose and revile him. And I can just imagine why he might do this. Now, this is not the first time Paul's done this. But I sense a little bit of a, a fed-upness coming through here. Can you sense that? What's he say? He says he shook out the garments. So he's going, you know, shakes out his garments. Basically saying, forget you guys. Right? Forget you guys. I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I've tried. I've done what I could. I think there's a little bit of fed upness here. And he says, he pronounces, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from now on. I'm going to the Gentiles. I think that Paul, how he might be feeling right now, 
He had some ups, he had some encouragement, but he's still right on that level of going, what am I doing? Fine, forget you guys, I'm going to the Gentiles. I've tried. Maybe some of you know exactly what that's like. You've had people that you've tried to help before, and no matter what you do, it just seems like they're going to do the dumb thing anyway. And you ever get to that place where you're like, forget it. And we may not use words like, your blood be on your own heads, but there's maybe in our back of our mind we were thinking, saying that, well, your blood be on your own heads. We wouldn't do that, though. But that's what Paul did. So he shakes this out. He heads off the Jews. He's like, I'm, I've tried. I'm going to the Gentiles. And it's interesting, the first thing that happens after this, it says, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, his house was next door to the synagogue. So he actually goes right next door to the, from the synagogue, right? That's where he was at. And so literally, he's like, I'm done with you guys. And he walks over next door to Titus Justice's house. I'm here, I'm staying here. Titus Justice, worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Now Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Now this is fascinating to me because I think this is another little element of encouragement for Paul. Because as he shakes the dust out and he walks away and he goes to Titus's house, what happens? One of the rulers of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So the ruler of the synagogue is one that becomes a believer. Now this is going to be important later on in our story. But now we get to, I think, the key. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, So the Lord comes to Paul, and he says this, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Break that down a little bit. The command. Did you hear it? Don't. Be afraid. And we know that he came to Corinth with much fear and trembling. So the first thing that the Lord says to him is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he says this, go on speaking, don't be silent. Right? That's the two sides of the same coin. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't be silent. Do you think maybe he was feeling like giving up entirely? I think so. Go on speaking, don't be silent. But then he gives some reasons why, and this is so important, I think, for every single one of us today. In fact, I'm, I'm clinging to these words this week. I'm going to be honest with you. The promise. Number one, the Lord is with you. Would that have meant something to Paul? Well, I'm going to go ahead and start shifting. What about you? Would it be encouraging to you for a God to tell you, I'm with you. Even when it seems like things are going wrong, now you, you had some good things and bad things. Let's all be honest. Even in our worst weeks, just like Paul, we, we, he's got, had some positives. This Titus Justice is a believer. He's right next to the synagogue. Crispus became a believer who was a ruler of the synagogue. There's other people believing. But, but do sometimes the negative things overshadow those positive things? I mean, you could, probably could have gone out to Paul and said, what are you so, you know, what are you afraid of? I mean, Think about it. You just met Priscilla and Aquila. They're going through the same stuff. And, and maybe you've had people do that to you before where you're going through something and they, they start pointing out all the positive things. Who's had that happen? 
Now, okay, let's be really honest. If you're going through a hard time and things seem like they're negative and you try to share it with somebody and they start pointing out all the positives, let's be honest. Do you ever want to smack them in the head? Okay. Well, it's just right. Now, I'm not saying Paul wanted to smack anybody in the head. I'm just saying, understand what he might have felt like. We might have easily gone back and said, you got Priscilla and Aquila, you got this guy here, you got this but there's so many, just this full, in fact, I went through Acts this morning. I thought about having you guys do this, but I just went back through Acts from the beginning and tried to count up all the times that Paul was driven out of a city or ridiculed or actually beaten or actually stoned and left for dead. I mean, there's, there's, there was like eight or nine times just that we know of where these things happened to him in this, this few years of missionary traveling. And so I don't think listing off all the positives, we're going to make him go, oh, you're right, life is good. But God comes to him, and the first thing he says after he tells him this command is, regardless of this, I'm with you. Next, he says, nothing will happen, right, apart from God's plan. Now, I know that it says in there that nobody's going to attack you or to harm you, but now you can't think that this means he will never be harmed again because we know Paul's life. Has he been harmed leading up to this point? Yes. Has he been harmed after, or will he be harmed after this? If you know Acts, you, you know that there's going to be other things going to happen. I think that what he's leading up to is exactly what he says next. Because there's specific success that God has laid claim to. Did you hear that in the passage? There are people in this city. There are people in the city. My people. Now think... Let me go back to the verse for a second. I have many in this city who are my people. Now think about what he's saying here. He's referring to people who are not believers yet. And God has already laid claim to them and said, there are many in the city who are my people. Paul, you've you got to stay on task here because there's people. There is going to be a certain measure of success, Paul, that you're going to, and there's no harm. There's nothing going to come into your path that's going to stop you from fulfilling what I'm going to do in this city. So here we have this command and the promises to go along with it. I believe, and I, I, I'm just going to give you a smattering of just some random passages of Scripture because I want you to walk away today realizing that what God said to Paul, I think, applies to you as well. So let's take a look at just a few, few passages. Um, the first one, the command, don't be afraid. Isaiah 41.10 says this. Now, so I'm going to go back, and there's people all throughout the Old Testament where God says similar things to. In fact, every single person that God has a task for, he says very similar things to. To Isaiah, he says, fear not, for I am with you. This is actually written to the people of Israel by Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be, or be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Anybody here ever get afraid? There's some of you that go, well, I don't really struggle with fear, but there, there are those aspects where we say, what's going to happen? Is this going to play out right. And God, over and over again, when he sends people on task, he says, don't be afraid. To Joshua, he said something similar. He says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That command of to go on speaking, we hear in the, uh, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or in Mark 16, 15, Jesus says to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So this idea of go on speaking, don't be afraid, There's the, keep using your mouth, go on speaking, don't be silent, over and over and over again is said throughout Scripture. The promises. The Lord is with you. We've already heard a couple of those in the last couple verses. Hebrews 13 says this, keep your life free from the love of money, be content with what you have. But then he says, why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is with you. What can man do to you? What, what can man actually really do to you? Apart from what God permits, can he do anything? Nothing. And the Lord is with you. I'll go back that that great commission that, uh, that Christ gave in Matthew 28 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what does he say? I am with you always to the end of the age. See, those, those things overlap. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. I am with you again and again and again. Other people that God has given this to, Moses in Exodus chapter 3, Joshua, we just mentioned, Jeremiah, again and again. Over, just every single person that God says, I've got a task for you. He says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Nothing's going to happen to you apart from what needs to be accomplished. Even speaking into that specific success, think about this. John 10, 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. Now what this is talking about, this is Jesus speaking He's talking about those people who are going to be believers. He says, my Father has given to me, them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Nobody. So here, whatever task God has for what's one of the things? You cannot be snatched out of his hand. Or how about this one? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his, his purpose. I hope this is starting to tie together a little bit. Just think about whatever it is that God has for you. And there may be a ton of different little aspects, but I'm telling you right now, one of the main things God has for you is to not be silent and to go on speaking about Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. And that specific success that God has laid claim to John 6, 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will, will come to me. You know what I hear when I hear that? I hear it doesn't ultimately depend on you, does it? Your, your call is to go and, and to keep on speaking and not be silent. Who's making sure that everything that's supposed to happen happens? Is that you? No. Who is it? Him. Yeah. Listen to this one, John 10. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now he's talking to his disciples here. and He's talking about, they've been witnessing, they've been talking to the Jews. And he says, I have other sheep. And he's referring to the Gentiles. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. Back to Acts. 
Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What about you? What about you? I believe the same statement could be said to you. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. The Lord is with you. No attack or injury will stop you from accomplishing what God has purposed. There are those in this city, Danville, who are in some sense already God's people. When you go out, you go to the county market, and you're buying your groceries, and you run into somebody, and somehow a conversation comes up about God. And you start talking about Jesus. How are you to know that that might not be one of those people that God has, I've, I've laid claim to them? I, I'm telling you right now, this is one of the, the key elements of motivation to keep on going, that it doesn't depend on you. Your job, go out and present. Share. I know for a fact that some of you, you think about sharing the gospel and you get very intimidated and maybe you kind of think like Paul does. I come to you with fear and trembling. Maybe you've tried to share and you've been shut down. Because people got some good reasons why they don't want to go to church and they don't want to know anything about God. And maybe you felt a little bit like Paul and you thought, I just shake dust off, blood be on your own heads. Understand that God has called you to present. The outcome is in his hands. But the thing is, there are some people who when you present the gospel to, and you have no way of knowing who it's going to be, there's some people that they're going to hear and they're going to believe. And I think with Paul, it's not the ones he expected because when he said, I'm done with the Jews, one of the, the first people it says becomes a believer is Crispus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. You think he was expecting that? I don't think so. But that's exactly who ends up coming. Now, I'm going to finish this story off, and then I want to look at a psalm to help you out. Listen to what he says next. The rest of this passage, it says, And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So he hears this promise, I'm with you. There are many people. So he, man, he goes, all right, I'm in it. it. I'm going to stick with this city. A year and six months, he stays here in Corinth, preaching, teaching the word of God among them. But now Gallio was a proconsul of uh, Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Side note, this particular guy, we actually have fragments of a document that Julius, or that one of the Caesars, Claudius, wrote to this particular guy that we know when he was stationed in Corinth. So we can actually date this time period. It had to be between AD 51 and 52. That's just a little side note. So this Gallio comes along, and it says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crimes of Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them out from the tribunal, this Gallio. So he drives them out. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now, this all sounds kind of weird, but I want you to hear something really important in the middle of this. So Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue, right? And it said he got saved. 
So this a year and six months has passed, as far as we can tell. This new ruler comes in, Gallio. The Jews say, hey, we've got a new guy in charge, new governor of this area. We're going to get together. They try to bring up a charge against Paul. Doesn't work. And they decide, the Jews decide, they're going to beat somebody up. And who they beat up? This guy named Sothenes. Well, who's he? He's the new ruler of the synagogue. What happened to Crispus? Do you think they let Crispus continue being the ruler of the synagogue when he started believing? I don't think so. So here we have this Sosthenes who gets beat up. I mean, you're just so frustrated that this is not going the way that it's supposed to. They beat up this, the new ruler of the synagogue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul's writing a letter to the city of Corinth. And in this letter that he's moved on, he's gone to Ephesus, so we're, we're, we're jumping ahead about three years. He's writing this letter back to Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, the letter begins this way when he writes to Corinth. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And so he's, he's saying this is who it's from, right? A typical letter. But 1 Corinthians is written by Paul and another person. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. I think that's fascinating. This guy who Paul had no contact with up to this point, must have become a believer. There were people in that city that were gods. God had laid claim to. Paul's job was to present the gospel to them. Now I'm going to end today, and I'm going to have you, actually, I don't do this very often, I'm going to have you look in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 139. And so I'm not, going to, I'm not putting it up there for you today. You're going to have to do some work and open up your Bibles. Psalm 139. I'm going to read through the first 16 verses. Because I want you to know, when you leave this building today, that if you don't get anything, like I said, I think my brain is only firing on half of its pistons this morning, but I'm telling you right now, when you leave today, the the one thing that I hope that you know is that from Paul, Paul understood, because God had told him, Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Nothing is going to happen to you apart from what I've got planned for you. So Psalm 139 says this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Let, let this sink in. This might be weird for some of you, but turn on the imagination for a moment and imagine yourself hearing this and it's got to do with you. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. Altogether, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or some versions say hell, Referring to the grave, you're there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. I know for a fact that some of you right now in this room, you have thought words like that. Surely the darkness is going to cover me. And the light about me is going to be like night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed me, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God did that. God knitted you together in your mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intimately woven in the depths of the earth. Just once again referring to the mother's womb. I mean, God, you were there. You were knitting me together. That is true of you. Every single one of you, God made you, formed you, stitched you together, so to speak. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And then hear these words. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I'm going to read that last verse again. In your book were written, so there's this book, literal book, I don't know. In your book were written, every one of them, what? the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. There's a book, I don't think literally, but what we do know is that every single one of your days, God has planned out before you've lived any of them. You know what that means? There's not a one of you in this room is going to end before God says this is the right time. So you can go out into this world and say, you know what, I have no reason to be afraid. Nothing is going to happen to me apart from what God has planned. And there's success that I might have when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. Because there are many people in the city that are already his. And your job might be, and your part might be, presenting the gospel to one of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I, Lord, I, I pray and I hope that in the midst of how I've presented this this morning, God, that your truth has come through, that you are with us. Lord, I pray now that you would be with each one in this room, including myself, that we would know tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when we go to our jobs, when we're out in, in our lives, that you are with us. We don't need to be afraid. We should continue to speak, not be silent. Lord, my hope is that each person in this room can walk out of this building today knowing and believing that truth, that you're with us. We're not alone. 
Your hand is there. And your book was written all of our days before we had lived a single one of them. Lord, I praise you because we are each fearfully and wonderfully made. We praise you, Lord, for your grace and compassion of even bringing us to this place this morning. In your name I pray. Amen.